Good morning. My name is Bumsa Walang, and our scripture reading from today comes from the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Menza, and thanks, worship team. It's exciting to have our Paris trip heading out. Really, really cool to see, uh, to see us being able to begin again doing missions all over the world. And so we're looking forward to more of that as we, uh, as we move down the road to 2022. My name is Thomas Nelson. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'm excited to get to share with you this morning. As Bimza read, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And, you know, in my mind, when you get to Luke and you hit chapter one, you're right on the heels of the Christmas season. And uh, when you get to chapter two, you're there. We have arrived. And I love Christmas, so I'm excited. The next few weeks, we're actually going to dig into uh, the Trinity and the Trinity within this revelation of the incarnation of Christ as we approach Christmas. Really looking forward to that. So, you know... I'm going to get, we're just going to roll right out of the gate here. The idea this morning is that, hey, how you spend your life is a costly decision regardless of how you spend it. And this is a simple sermon, so I'm going to let you know the punchline right now. And here it is. If your life ends up pointing others to Jesus, it'll be well spent. You will know and you'll love God. You'll be satisfied because he is satisfying. But if your life points to anything else, you're always going to suffer want, no matter how much you have. I think what we see when we begin to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for Christ, we see three individuals who were satisfied at the end of their days. And they were satisfied because they knew the only one who can truly bring ultimate satisfaction, and that is God and his son Christ through the Holy Spirit. So let's look again at these words that Bimza just read to us. Let's start a few verses earlier. Let's go look at verse five here, maybe verses five through seven. We'll get a little background. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So we have Zechariah and Elizabeth introduced to us here, and these are both godly folks. Zechariah is a priest, and Elizabeth, like this is like the ultimate church couple. Elizabeth was not a priest. She wasn't a priestess. She wasn't a prophetess, but she came. She could track her lineage back to the priest, Aaron. So like, this is quite the arrangement of a power couple. So you got a priest and you got the, the great, 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 and on and on granddaughter of Aaron. And so you get this couple together and only good things can happen. I mean, like this is a couple every church wants to hire. And so here they are introduced. And what do we know about them? Well, he's in the order of Abijah. He, uh, He's got this, this lovely wife, Elizabeth. They're both, this is interesting, verse 6, they, it, it, two descriptors. They're righteous before God, and they walked blamelessly in the commands and statutes of the Lord. So, what does that mean? Well, we know from the book of Genesis, Abraham was the first person who was considered righteous. And why was Abraham righteous? It wasn't because he did a whole bunch of stuff. He was righteous because he believed God. It's always been about faith. The life of following God, even before Jesus came into the world, has always been about faith. Do I believe God or do I believe what I see in front of me and the life around me? Well, so they believed God. Therefore, they were considered righteous, but they also obeyed him. Now, there's a lot of Christians that would say, of course I believe God, but you look at their life and there's not the practical obedience of following the Lord. And Paul talks about those folks. Uh, he, he says, saved but by fire. And it's this sad existence of, of faith that someone has and yet the obedience is so lacking. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, that wasn't them. They had faith and they obeyed. So you would think that everything would go great for these two. Like, that's kind of how a lot of sermons are preached. If you do the right thing, the good stuff's going to happen to you. But the next verse in the background of these two lets us know that was not the case. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, in the first century, and really even some today, but throughout history, this has been a thing. If a couple who loves God doesn't have a child, they're barren, it's something that people outside of them talk about. Did they do something wrong? Is there sin in their life? What's the problem with these two? Why is God blocking them from having this gift? We have a lot, of, a lot of young adults at Christ Covenant, a lot of single young adults. And you know, this, this sometimes applies to singleness. People will, will the, the married people can look and be like, oh, bless their heart. What's, what's, what have they done to not get married? And the reality is, it's the same in this passage with a barren woman 
as it is with a, a godly adult who is single or someone who loses their job and they're out of work or whatever. We all experience tragedies, and it does not mean that the Lord is displeased with you. Sometimes God puts you in a spot, just like he did the blind man in John 9, so that he can say, hey, I let this happen to them so that I can work my good favor out in their life and people can look and see my hand in their life. And that's the scenario they're in, but it doesn't stop people from talking. And if you find yourself in that spot where you can somehow relate to this idea of, but Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years, meaning like they're past the point of this thing happening that they so wanted, you got, a, you got a golden opportunity to block out the chatter and to say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to the crowd. I'm going to listen to the Father. And that's what these two did. And so they're righteous and they're faithful and they're obedient and they're this godly couple. Now, look, here's, here's a little... Uh, Here's a little side note. If you're curious, the, the tribe of, uh, or the, the priestly group of Abijah, this is just if you want to nerd out for just a second. I'll try to do this fast. The Abijah, there's 24 priestly tribes at the time of the first century. 24. The, tri, uh, the, 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 the group of Abijah, they're number eight in the list. And so you got 24 groups. They all serve one week a year uh, or one week at a time from Sabbath to Sabbath. This is the eighth of those 24 groups. There's actually records of when these groups served that we can still find today from way back in the first century. Uh, people were really good at keeping records, apparently. Those Romans, they had it figured out. And so if you're curious, he was serving in the temple in this story in about June. More specifically, there's like really, really detailed records, probably mid-June. And so the way this is going to play out he and Elizabeth are going to have their son, John the Baptist. Sorry, spoiler alert, but it does say it in a few more verses. They're going to have their son, John, uh, about nine or so months later. And so John's going to be born in March. And Jesus is a few months younger than John. We find out that when Mary is six months pregnant, or Elizabeth is six months pregnant, uh, uh, Mary goes to her, and Mary is pregnant with Jesus at this point, just barely pregnant with Jesus. And so if you do the math, Jesus is probably born in like September, October. So we've missed it. We, and I'm sorry about that, but that's okay. Uh, but we'll have Christmas anyway. It'll be great. We'll, we'll, we'll do a belated birthday. Uh, <clears throat> And that's another message for another time about celebrating Christ and all that good stuff. But just, just thought you might want to know. So let's press on. We got a little background on these two. Let's go to verse 8. So while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were outside, were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so, here's what's happening. He's serving as a priest before God in the division of Abijah. And it was the custom at this point because they had so many priests. Just like Christ's covenant, maybe an example would be, we got Jason, we got Blake, we got Bear. I mean, we got a whole bunch of folks. We got, uh, we got a bunch of us. We can't all preach on a Sunday. Like, if we did, you just wouldn't come. You'd be like, that was a long, long message. That was all day. Uh, and so, you know what? 
Jason had in the rotation that I would come up today and I would preach. And he didn't cast a lot. He didn't like reach in his pocket. I don't think. I wasn't there when he picked. But maybe, maybe you did. Uh, so I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure he didn't reach in his pocket and be like, heads Thomas. All right, Thomas is up. However, Proverbs 16.33 says the lot is cast in the lap, and it's every decision is from the Lord. And so in decisions, a lot of times you'll see in the Bible, they even picked the disciple this way, uh, they would cast lots. And so there's a bunch of priests, and, and only a limited number of things the priest could do. Well, they cast a lot, and he gets picked. Zechariah is picked, and he's picked to burn incense at the altar of the Lord. Now, this is, this is a pretty cool thing. And uh, on Tuesday nights with our young adult gathering uh, a few months ago, I taught on the temple for a few weeks. I thought I had systematically dismantled Tuesday nights by teaching on the temple. But people showed up, and they were very interested, and it was a really cool series to tie in Christ with the temple. Graham in our student ministry, he's doing a look through the whole Bible, and, uh, and he's using this idea of temple and tabernacle to kind of paint the picture of what is God's narrative through the Scriptures. So this is the temple. This would have been the temple, not exactly because it's a drawing, cartoon-ish, but this is what the temple would have looked like at the time Zechariah is serving, at the time of Christ. This is what Herod the Great would have reconstructed, uh, built a whole bunch of stuff around. This was Solomon's temple, and Zechariah gets to go in and burn incense before the Lord. Let's peel back the veil and look inside the temple. And so, boom, here we go. Uh, if what you see, I'm just going to walk up here. Some of you can't see what I'm pointing at. Do you see our little guy right here? There's a little guy at the bottom. He's got his hands raised. This little guy at the bottom, he is our priest. Now, he is inside the holies. And what you see on his left is the golden lampstand or the menorah. These are, there's three things every priest would have to walk past and every priest would have to minister to before you could go into the Holy of Holies, which is behind that blue veil, which would have been where the presence of God dwelt. And so... These priests, they were cast lots. One of the, it's so detailed. I read this really long article. It was like a 20-page article on what these priests would do depending on who got the lot cast to them. There was someone for every, there was someone who got the lot drawn to trim the wicks on the menorah. There was someone who the lot was drawn to get the ashes out of that altar of incense that that priest is standing before. There was someone who was to go in and set up the incense. There was someone who was to clean out the, the bowls uh, for the showbread. There was someone who was to put the showbread out. There's little pieces of bread. It's kind of hard to see, but it's, in the, it's number six there on the drawing. And so there was a priest to do everything. But now this is God's providence. There were three times during the day the priest would go in. Some to perform sacrifices, some to clean up after, and some to again go in and, uh, and orchestrate the worship. Zechariah got called in for the third shift, the time of the afternoon sacrifice. And every priest 
hoped the law would fall on them for one particular thing. Every priest hoped the lot would fall on them to burn the altar of incense. And the reason is because there was so much power and symbolism in this moment. You see in this, in this drawing here, this smoke going up and the priest raising his hands, that smoke would sometimes fill the room And it would represent this intercessor, this block between the holy of holies where the presence of God is and the people. It would be this screen that would protect the priest from the presence of God. It also represented all the prayers of the people lifting up and wafting up towards God. And Zechariah got to go in and he got to pray Some of these prayers, and you see in verse 10 it says, and the whole multitude of the people were outside praying at the hour of incense. And so Zechariah is in here, and he's getting to watch this incense burn up and this smoke fill the room and this comforting aroma separating and protecting him from what would have been the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And the people outside are praying. And they know the smoke is going up, and it's, it's hitting the nostrils of God, and that God is breathing in the prayers of all these people, and they're praying for some of their own things, but they're also praying for the kingdom to come. And it is a beautiful, powerful moment. And that's where we find Zechariah. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. Now, let's just pause. When we, we had a, a, a good discussion in our worship planning meeting, our sermon prep meeting the other day, I thought it was kind of fun. We actually brought up the, uh, the image of the dress. You remember the dress? Is it blue or is it gold? You remember the dress, the one that broke the internet? Uh, because when you first read this story, you, and some of you heard this story like a long time ago, It's easy to read it and to think, okay, Zechariah, he's old, his wife's old, they haven't been able to have a child, it's set up in the story, and uh, and then he goes in and he's praying and the angel says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard, your wife is going to have a son. It's easy to hear the story once and be like, oh, man, the angel shows up to Zechariah and he says, hey, your prayers are answered, the ones you've been praying for in this moment, you're going to have a son. That could be true. But the role of the priest was not to go in and just air all of his concerns. So he totally could have been praying in that moment. I cannot prove to you this. So this is just me just just thinking out loud. But the role of the priest was not to go in and, and, and take his moment and say, God, I got some things going on in my life. The role of the priest 
was to go in and say, I am here to intercede for the people. Look, I, I promise you, all of the folks on this church staff have stuff going on. Every Sunday, we have stuff going on. Every Tuesday night, we have stuff going on. Every Sunday night, we have stuff going on. Every time we have a gathering, we have stuff going on. I promise you, we have stuff going on. But if we got up here every time you heard us talk and we were like, so by the way, let me continue the saga of my life, you would be like, let me continue looking for a church. Like you, you know, like, like you, you, you come here because you want to hear something from God's Word, and you care about what's going on in our lives, but like you kind of want us to put that on hold for a minute and be like, hey, let's, let's dig in. Let's look at the big picture of God. Let's see what God is doing and how he's moving and how we can follow him. And I think it's probably a little bit of a blend. I think Zachariah, sure, had prayed for a child, but I also think he's in there interceding for the people. He's not praying these little my kingdom prayers. He's praying prayers of your kingdom come, your will be done. He's got the weight of the people. He's praying for Messiah. And let me just, from a guy who Heather and I have not been able to have kids, let me just tell you how this works too. I think I can speak to this. When you first find out that you can't have kids, it's like really sad. And, and then you go to like fertility doctors and you spend a bunch of money and you're completely humiliated. Like you, there's nothing private in your life anymore at that point. And then doctors walk out after they do procedures and they say, you're just not lucky. I guess it's just not your day. And, uh, and so you, you go through a whole bunch of stuff and it gets real existential. You start questioning the goodness of God and you start seeing other people who don't care about their kids and they have like five or six or seven kids and like, you're like, what's wrong with the world? And so you go through a pretty like low patch. But you can't stay sad forever. And you kind of start to like, you, you, you kind of start to come to terms with God is still good and God still has a plan and let's rally here and let's figure out what his plan is and how do we follow along with his plan and you still kind of hope, man, I'd long to have a child, that would be wonderful, but, but you also kind of just start moving on and so you remember those prayers at times but it's not nearly as weighty as it once was. And you've kind of mourned the loss, but you realize God has a new purpose for me, and I'm going to embrace that purpose. And I, I really think that could potentially be some of where Zechariah and Elizabeth are. They could still be in the deep mourning part of things, but Zechariah could also be in the place where he's remembered those prayers and prayed those prayers but he's also praying other prayers for the people. And so this angel, when he appears to them, I can imagine he was completely freaked out. The prayers of the people are wafting up towards God, and all of a sudden an angel shows up and says, Zechariah, 
And I can imagine Zacharias thinking, well, the little rope with the bells on it around my ankles pretty soon going to stop ding- jingling and I'm going to fall dead and they're going to have to pull me out like, I, I, like I'm done because every priest had one of those because if they had sin in their life when they walked into the presence of God, they would drop dead standing in front of the Lord. And so Zechariah is probably greatly afraid in this moment. And the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And that's why I think it's twofold. I think the prayer for Messiah and the kingdom of God coming is one prayer that was heard. And I also think the prayer that he and his wife had so earnestly prayed for a child has been heard. I think it's kind of a both and here. And so Elizabeth's going to bear a son and you're going to call his name John. What if the Lord showed up today and answered your most recent prayers? What what are your most recent prayers? Just think about it. What have you been praying for most? What if, uh, what if the job came? What if uh, the family situation got worked out? Um, what if the finances reckoned? What if, like, what is your most recent prayer? If God showed up today and he said, here you go, I'm going to answer that prayer. You know, your schedule gets lightened up, whatever it is, like, it could be small, it could be big, but God shows up and he says, I'm going to answer your prayer. Would you love his answer more than you love him? Would you love the gift more than you love the giver? I think the reason this prayer is so sweet, the answer to this prayer, is because they can appreciate the gift because they love the giver so much. They're able to truly enjoy this gift of John because they love the giver more than the gift that he's going to give. I think if you want your life to be a life that is pointing towards God, that is clearing a path from him, then you need to have prayers bigger than just God fix this thing, do this thing. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were beginning to clear a path for Christ. God chose them to have the son John who's going to clear the path for Christ. When you start praying kingdom prayers and not just selfish prayers, then you fully begin to realize the power and the goodness of God. And then when he gives you an answer to some of the small, my little kingdom prayers... You appreciate them, and you're grateful for them, but you're more grateful for the giver than you are the gift. So how small is your prayer life? Is it all about you? I know I am so guilty of this sometimes. My prayer life at times can be just so minuscule. It's so me-centric. And when my prayer life is me-centric and minuscule, I love the gift more than I do the giver. 
But Zechariah, he saw it different. He saw himself as one who was to clear a path for the Lord. He saw himself as a part of the kingdom of God, the movement of God, the coming of God, the changing of the world that God wanted to do. He saw himself as a part of that. And so certainly he prayed for a son, but he prayed for big things. And we're, we should be about big things. God call, has called us to big business here. This altar of incense shows up in the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation. And in the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation, this same altar of incense is in heaven in the presence of God. If you want to take a look, you can flip there real quick. Revelation chapter 8, the very first few verses, we're going to see this altar one more time. And when the lamb opened the seventh seal, I'm in verse one of chapter eight. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Listen to me. When you and I pray, I think we can kind of fit our prayers into two buckets, the me bucket and the God bucket. In the book of Revelation, this angel stands before God and the prayers of the saints, and if you were born again, you were in that number, the prayers of the saints, the prayers waft up towards God. But look, not all the prayers of the saints. It says the prayers of all the saints, but not all the prayers that they prayed. All the saints, but not all the saints' prayers. Some of our little trivial, God, do this for me, God, do that for me, God, do this, do that, where we make God just a genie up in heaven to grant our wishes, I don't think they make it in this moment. But the prayers for the power of God to move, for lives to be changed, for the kingdom of God to come, the prayers that we are invited to join God in praying, those prayers make it before the throne of God, and they waft up to the Lord, and the answer is resounding and strong and powerful and better than God answering all our little prayers about our little kingdom and our little life. Those prayers, when they get answered, they're like peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And those are the prayers that you and I are invited to be a part of. That's the prayer that Zechariah had been praying for so long. And you know what? If you're like, well, Thomas, what about like my job or my boyfriend situation or girlfriend or family or this or that? Like those little personal kingdom prayers. It's fine to pray those prayers. Totally fine to pray those prayers. Cast all your cares before the Lord because he cares for you. But remember, that's just the beginning of your prayer life. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. 
And in the same chapter, in chapter 6 of Matthew, he goes on and he ends that chapter by saying, look, 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 the pagans are running after all that other stuff. Don't do that. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Pray about the little things in your life, but pray the big things of God that his kingdom might come and his will be done and that you might be a part of that big work of God. And the angel then tells him in verse 14 what his son's going to be like. And you will have joy and gladness, and many are going to rejoice at his birth, because he's going to be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children." and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. John the Baptist is going to be a path clearer. He wasn't, the the prayers weren't, God, give us a son so that he can like go to this great school and do this great thing and carry on the family name. Uh, uh, Zechariah had been about God's work. He had been praying for a son, but also for the kingdom of God to come and for the people's heart to turn back to God and for the Lord to do a work and for Messiah to come. And in this moment, he's seeing an answer to his prayer, realized that Messiah is going to come and his son is going to help usher him in. He was a path clearer. And everybody is clearing a path for something. Everybody in this room is clearing a path for something. Uh, I was talking to a buddy yesterday on the phone, and we were kind of talking. He said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, well, it's kind of complicated. It's like the, the birth of, of uh, John the Baptist being announced. And, uh, and we got to talking, and he said, you know, everybody's religious. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, everybody's life is devoted to something. Like, yeah, everybody's life is devoted to something. Everybody is a little John the Baptist, John the Baptist was called the greatest born among women in Luke 7, 38, the greatest born among women. And the reason he was the greatest born among women is because his pretty much whole life was devoted to clearing a path for Christ, for helping the kingdom of God come. Now, he had some faults. He had like a major doubting moment, and he wasn't perfect. And to the point that uh, we're told that Jesus said, He was the greatest born among women, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. But everybody's life is like a little John the Baptist. Everybody's clearing a path for something. You know, I think the reason that we don't all clear a path for the Lord is simply because it's hard. And so we kind of resolve to like be much smaller in our Christianity than we should be. And so we read our Bible and we go to church and we settle for what Will Carlisle introduced me to the other day, a new term, uh, a narcissus. And narcissus is a play on the word exegesis. Exegesis is where you read the Bible trying to understand what the original author meant to those people and then how does it apply now and how does it, how does it affect my life. But narcissus is when I go to church and I do my worship and I read my Bible and I just figure out how can God help me have a better life. 
And Zechariah didn't live that way. And Elizabeth didn't live that way. And John the Baptist did not live that way. They all lived with a kingdom mindset saying, how do we prepare a path for the Lord? There's a, a book that came out several years ago about the first successful summit of Annapurna. Uh, it's called Conquistadors of the Useless. And I love these outdoorsy books. I love these like adventure books. Um, it, this, this book is a fascinating book. Uh, the, these guys had the first assault on, uh, on Annapurna, an 8,000 meter peak, 26,000 uh, feet above sea level in the death zone. And they did it in the 1950s, like pre-Gore-Tex. Uh, and like, I'm not sure how the, any of them survived. Uh, but a couple of these guys did it. And then they wrote a book about it later, Conquistadors of the Useless. My friends, many of us are living our lives as conquistadors of the useless. We scrap and we claw and we pray and we hope that God will do these things so that my little life is better. And we wonder why we're never fully satisfied. Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, a few years ago began to release some clothing and, uh, and he changed the word conquistadors to the English word conqueror. And they would have like people climbing a little mountain and cartoon figures on the, on the Patagonia stuff. And I bought one or two of these things because I thought that's a funny phrase. And I have been a conquistador of the useless at times. And uh, so I have a water bottle that says conquerors of the useless. And it's like the, a person at the top of a mountain on the water bottle. And I'm like, I've been there. I have been a conqueror of the useless. Like I have devoted a lot of times to things, a lot of time to things at the end of the day that don't really matter all that much. Uh, and, and I've had some really fun experiences in some of those moments. And some of those moments have helped me kind of come to life or get re-centered. But if my whole life was about like, let me climb the next mountain, let me fish the next river, uh, let me hunt the next animal, let me, you know, do the next whatever. If my whole life was about that, then my whole life would be about me. And at the end of the day, I would be a really, really sad human, no matter how many verses I could quote to you. The beauty of this story is these three people. Their lives, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John, they're no conquistadors of the useless. They're conquerors of the useful. They spend their lives really, really well for the kingdom of God to come. As we begin to land the plane, no one is going to be able to 100% all of their life, live out the last part of verse 17, make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Nobody is going to be the perfect path clearer for Christ. Our hope is in Christ, who has continually been clearing a path for you to know him. So give yourself a little, a little breather here. And let's pause and thank the Lord for a moment because he has been clearing a path for you to know him. 
Now, sometimes he cuts down things in that path that hurt, things that you really liked, but things that would have ultimately completely derailed you. He's the faithful one. He's the one that left heaven for earth, that left the infinity up there for the finite of the flesh. He's the one who paid the ultimate price on a cross, a man who knew no sin, became sin, while we were still enemies of him. He's our hope. He's the ultimate path clearer. You think about some of your testimonies, your stories of how you came to know Christ and how many things he chopped down and moved out of the way, how many mountains he leveled flat, how many valleys he raised up so that you and he would meet and he could redeem and rescue your life. And now as a response, we had to move from the spiritual milk that we're so used to onto the spiritual meat And we ought to offer our lives, beginning with our prayer life, to being about the kingdom of God coming and being about people who want to say, thank you, Jesus. Let me help clear a path for you. Oh, and by the way, here's some things going on in my life. Will you help me with those? But Lord, by and large, let me be a person who is clearing a path for you. In that same worship planning meeting that we had a good, good time talking the other day, Jordan Coughlin said, you know, the great thing about John, it's real simple, his whole life just pointed to Jesus. Look, the whole of your life is pointing towards something. Your existence is pointing towards something. Are you a conquistador of the useless? Or is your existence, if you've been redeemed by Christ because he cleared a path to get to you, a faithful response of you saying, Lord, let me be a person who clears a path for others to get to you. Is your existence one of a conqueror of the useful? I want to invite our worship team back up and Blake Rogers up, and we're going we're gonna to move into a time of reflection and communion. Let me pray for us and pray for all of our hearts now. Lord, you give us such a great opportunity to respond and say thank you if you've redeemed us, that we might be a person who's a path clearer. Lord, Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist, they all were a part of clearing a path for the way of Christ. And their lives were conquerors of the useful. May we also emulate that, especially as we begin to change our prayers into kingdom things. It's in Christ's name I pray, Lord. Amen.